Hello, my name is Jonathan Swift, the content director of Insurance Post magazine, and I'm today here with the second edition of Motormouth to promote the motor insurance event on the 24th of March at Twickenham Stadium. And joining me for today's podcast, I'm delighted to say we have in the studio the managing director of underwriting and technical service at AXA Insurance, David Williams. Hello, David. Hello. So, David, can you give me a brief overview of the biggest challenges that you see the motor insurance industry facing in 2020 and beyond? I think 2020 is going to be a continuation of 2019. Uh, and, yeah, one of the biggest issues we had was claims inflation generally. So, you know, the, the Ogden discount rate being announced at a level that, you know, the government had said it wouldn't be at, that, that you know, threw us somewhat. Uh, and you know how how competitive motor insurance is so so you know you want to be trying to you know take advantage of any opportunity to get your prices as competitive as as you can and then things like that getting thrown in that that you know absolutely throws a spanner in the works and we've had that on top of uh, issues with um, damage inflation you know the, the cost of repairing vehicles we're still trying to get to grips with it and basically lovely technology coming in to vehicles being fitted on vehicles but usually fitted all around in places where it's very likely to get damaged um, so we like the safety aspects we you know, worry about the the increasing costs because you know if you look at the just the you know, the cost of a replacement headlamp unit with ADAS sensors, uh, you know the, the the costs can be astronomic. But one of the other issues is a number of these things are optional extras. So we're struggling with it. You know, in the old days, a car was a car. You you had a model. You knew precisely how it was going to perform. You know what it was going to cost to repair. But now we don't know what's going to be fitted on a vehicle. So there's there's two contrasting elements yeah we can't always reflect the improved safety in our rating because we we don't know it's got certain features fitted but also we don't know how much the repair is going to cost and that's been you know such a an essential part of of motor rating over years and years i think we'll we'll see um further developments there um we also had the election of course which you know we're now hopefully going to see some things actually happen um Uh, things like the civil liability bill, the changes to whiplash reforms. um, We all know that if Labour had won, then probably those changes wouldn't have happened. Um, Now it looks like everything's back on track, but because of the delays, um, the regulations aren't aren't remotely ready. So, you know, are we going to see a last-minute delay? Are we going to see an April introduction? You know, are things going to be as well thought out as they as they would be so that's going to be you know one one head of a challenge and and of course we've got brexit so we've been we've been sort of doing practice runs for brexit for the last couple of years and that's been useful in terms of you know i i would think that every insurer now has their issuing of green cards down to a fine art because whenever we've had a you know a brexit date we've all you know practiced we've had the regulator all over us making sure we're ready to deal with customer queries um but now it's going to happen so you know up until now it's just been those sort of administrative things dealing with customer queries you know issuing green cards stuff like that but now we're actually going to see who was telling the truth you know and are we going to see issues in terms of you know getting replacement parts and it's it's not just a case of you know a bit of an inconvenient delay if getting a spare part uh is going to take you know a couple of months because of you know um you know brexit customs clearance all those sorts of things then 
you know, we, we could see massively uh, increasing costs of, of credit hire. Uh, we could see further abuses of credit repair. Yeah, you know, one of the things that we're trying to look at is do we need to change the complete repair process so that, you know, we can help our um, repair network rather than, you know, current, currently the sort of just-in-time sourcing seems really strong. Even if you go into your main dealer, they probably won't have every single part for your car, but they will have across Europe a wonderful network where they can instantly get that bit of wing mirror that you, you need for your repair. Um, that's that's always been a bit more difficult, certainly with some of the smaller repairers, but you know, one of the things that we've looked at is moving to a contract where we're dealing with things on, you know, we're paying effectively labour only, and we're sourcing the parts. So yeah, that, I think, is, is a bit innovative, but let's be honest, it's also a bit you know reactive, knowing that there could potentially be issues um, from Brexit. And then I suppose finally, and, and probably one of the areas that's got the most attention is the whole subject of dual pricing um, and you know motor and household are the two big areas that, that are under focus from the regulator um, we received another letter when I say we you know most most major insurers got another dear CEO letter last week and it's very clear the direction of travel and I think you know, I, I obviously would claim that you know AXA we we try and do the right thing but we're in a market where you know there are you know extremes and those extremes sadly have led us to a position where you know the the ABI are, are really trying hard to sort of head off at the pass um, particularly onerous um, your regulation uh, but you know we're gonna we're gonna have to be showing that we're behaving a lot better going forward and that is going to disrupt massively the motor insurance market and some people's business models so what you've outlined there david there's obviously a lot going on <coughs> and can i ask you know all told are motor insurers keeping pace with the ever-evolving car or is there a danger that technological automotive innovation will actually outpace the insurance service I think there really is a danger. Um, I think when we've been discussing uh, you know, the various aspects of you know, the car of the future, um, we've we found a, a bit of resistance from the motor man- manufacturers to to share uh, a lot of things. Now, and there's always a degree of reticence in terms of yeah, you know, they 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 don't want their sort of intellectual property drifting out in their plans, um, you know, before things are announced. But uh, what I see is them seeing vehicles changing and providing additional sources of income uh, for them and I think there's a real danger that if insurers don't get on that wagon so to speak if we don't start thinking about what will the customer of the future want um, then we could end up you know insurance being yeah, particularly if, if if we honestly believe that roads are going to be safer and premiums are going to to drop, we could see insurance as being the aside. Now, if people are choosing to um, you know, purchase other services from maybe an OEM or maybe an insure tech or you know maybe a big in, big technology company, and you know it's it's easy and more interactive to bundle elements of insurance with that then we are going to lose huge proportions of our market. Uh, if we get on board, however, 
I think what we can do is we can replace any lost premiums as Roads to Safer premiums come down with providing additional services. And I think those additional services will be valuable as well in terms of, you know, one of the big issues that we have is motor insurance is absolutely um, a, a price-based purchase. There's no real relationship. If you speak to uh, you know, a, a, a lot of individuals they don't even know who they're insured with. If you went back 10, 20 years, they'd know who their broker was. They wouldn't know who uh, you know their, their insurer was. So if we can find ways to deliver other services, then um, that's a good way to build a relationship, have regular interaction rather than just when they have a claim. But we are we are struggling a bit at this point in time. As I've already mentioned that there's difficulty in knowing what technology is fitted to a vehicle because a lot of things are are, are optional. Um, but also things like you know how how we deal with repairs. We, we we're good that we've got Thatcham, the Motor Vehicle Research Institute, to get a bit of advance notice and be able to do some testing in things. But yeah, you know, I, I remember when we started seeing just simple ADAS systems in the amounts that were being charged for just recalibration of systems. If you had a broken windscreen, you could see a recalibration bill that was four or five times as much as it, it cost to replace the windscreen. You know, it, electric cars of, of, of some way, shape or form are the future. But I would question whether insurers have, have got their act together in, in that regard. So initially, it was great. We were all excited. Most people who bought electric cars tended to be safer drivers. That's changed a bit now because, you know, some of them, if you I don't know if you've driven an i8 or something like that, they go like an absolute rocket. So, so you know, you can't rely on it being a more sedate driver going for you know, an environmentally friendly vehicle anymore. But just the cost of repair and the battery itself, you know, in dealing with if the battery is damaged, the, you know, the rules are effectively you should be putting the vehicle in a separate building with nothing combustible around it for about 48 hours. And, you know, we're just not geared up for that. And I think that then feeds through into partly the customer service where, you know, I've seen vehicles being moved from repairer to repairer to repairer for, for different services um, or in terms of, you know, the cost of premiums because, you know, generally we're seeing very large components being just written off rather than being repairable and and that's not good from an environmental perspective but it's not also good in terms of you know the cost that we then have to pass on to the consumer so david at motor insurance world you will be a participant on the autonomous driving panel what do you see as the major challenges to full-scale driverless car adoption across the country I think people like uh, the ability to to switch a vehicle into autonomous mode, or, or will like that ability. Um, I, I think a lot of people, you know, I, mean, I, I do lots of presentations on um, driverless cars, and you get asked for a show of hands, and still, yeah, the minority are, are really looking. Uh, forward to, the, to, tr- to true autonomy, but a lot appreciate the idea of you know when you're when you're driving around a country road or a weekend, it might be a lovely driving experience. But if you're stuck on the M25, how can anybody enjoy that? So I think they they appreciate that. So the first thing is going to be availability and and cost. Um, but if you look at things like it's, it's quite interesting in terms of you know uh, I think some analysts said a couple of years ago when. 
um, uh, autonomy is widely available, the cost to uh, the end consumer would be between 3000 and £7,000 to add it onto a vehicle. And that was just an analyst talking about it. But if you look at uh, the Tesla pricing for the, the Cybertruck that they've recently announced, you can add uh, full autonomy to that vehicle okay it's not going to be available for a couple of years and it quotes a price and that price is around about five thousand dollars so my view is if they can offer that price now in quite a you know a specialist niche vehicle then i think those analyst predictions will come through so yeah three thousand seven thousand is is a you know, reasonable amount of money but i remember you're looking at bmws in the past when they wanted to charge you two grand to have a sat nav fitted so so i think it's within reach and certainly as these components become more widely used more widely available prices will come down so i think that's going to be the first thing and then it's going to be um i suppose drifting into you know regulation and you know our role uh you know the insurer's role and there is still quite a bit of debate the, the the uk government i think did amazingly well getting the automated and electric vehicle act out there and in place nobody's claiming it's you know the the finished article will be there for 20 years but it sets the tone it says clearly that what we want regardless of whether it's manually or or, or autonomously driven um we want to protect other road users um so that's really really good but it deliberately sort of avoided the the difficult subject of data and we're going to have to have some big battles frankly with oems about you know access to data how we get it how we're charged for it what we can do with it things like that so so that's 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 going to come uh, further down the line and the other issue is it's been a great period because we've seen some really exciting technologies come through and some really exciting vehicles on the road but the regulations that are meant to control what vehicles are allowed on the road have have been too slow they've been behind so you know again mentioning tesla um they effectively did a deal with the dutch government to get them to sponsor uh the um to, to get permission to produce the vehicle to get type approval um ahead of those rules now they're now working the oems are now working through those rules and they're still debating what is autonomous and that's of massive importance to to us as insurers because if what i would call driver assistance suddenly gets regarded as autonomy then you know who's responsible in the event of an accident from from my perspective i think you know, what the uk government has said is quite clear you know if if the driver is required as a fallback it's driver assistance if the vehicle can cope with everything and you know move to safe harbor if it sees something it doesn't like it's autonomous but if we start blurring that then i think there's going to be difficulties with um, getting insurance there's going to be confusion with responsibility and that will delay things so i think it's a combination of of price and then that whole regulatory piece which i think there's there's still some some battles that we we need to go through so building on that kind of legislative and a regulatory uh, discussion, what would you like to see passed by the relevant bodies to help autonomous vehicles safely enter our roads? Uh, everybody, t- when you talk about autonomy, you talk about the SAE levels of autonomy. They're not great, but they're, you know, they're levels that have been talked about for some time, so everybody understands them. And you know, in that, we talk about SE level four and level five. And as, as, as I sort of hinted at previously, that's where the vehicle can deal 
with everything. It doesn't require the driver to come out of a deep sleep or reading a book and suddenly take control because yeah, the vehicle's seen something it, it can't cope with. So I think what we need is we need absolute clarity in regulation, not just in the UK, but across Europe, stating that. So, you know, I think there are issues currently with mismarketing from some manufacturers of their vehicles where they imply that the vehicle is driverless when it is not. It isn't just incredibly clever driver assistance. So so that's one thing I'd like to see. I'd like to see absolute clarity there. And then I'd like to see mandating of the provision and availability of data. It's not just you know, me as an insurer wanting to to grab the OEM's data so that we can you know, earn money off of it. If you look at the whole world of, of, of motor vehicles, it's so vibrant, not just because of the OEMs, it's the little firms that provide services, where it's vehicle tuning, modifications, bodywork, things like that. Um, and I think your governments have recognised in the past that those small firms need to be supported because it's good for the consumer and it's good you know, for the economy generally. And so there are there are rules in Europe which basically state that you know motor manufacturers have to provide manuals and tools to those smaller firms so that they can trade and compete with them. I think we're going to need to see the same on data because if if data and information is going to be key to those vehicles going forward, then what I want is I don't want only you know motor companies. I might love the motor company, but I don't want them to be the only ones that have access to it. I want the smaller entrepreneurial firms to be given access to that data. So that would be another thing that I would be mandating, that data is made available. And I think we need to go into a bit of detail in terms of so how it's made available available and any costs involved because some of the compromises that are being talked about currently I think might just be you know a a further excuse to delay things and uh, uh, provide other earning opportunities. So can I ask David how fit for purpose do you feel that the road infrastructure is in the UK to support digitally connected autonomous vehicles? I, I think we're in a really, really good place. Uh, I mean, I base this on the fact that yeah, we at Axe have been involved in five of the government-funded um, autonomous consortia around the country, and therefore what we're seeing, and yeah, I've been seeing since you know 2015, um, is is real-world tests. Okay, they're test vehicles, but real-world tests. And whilst the perfect situation would be. Um, super smooth roads, everything, you know, hyper-connected. The reality is we can operate these vehicles off-road, through ditches, you know. Some of the biggest developments in autonomy, you have to look away from, you know, just motor cars and see, you know, um, the, the the marine world was well ahead of, of the motor world a few years ago. If you look at farming, agriculture, you know, the the, the detail that you can get to in terms of, of mapping of a, a farm to then use, you know, autonomous uh, farm equipment. And and that will only get better with, with 5G coming in. So, so I think we're in quite a good place. I accept that we need to do more to be able to fully take advantage of those additional connected services. And when we talk about, you know, vehicle to vehicle, vehicle to infrastructure, that's going to take a bit of investment and we're we're some way off of that. But in terms of, you know, a a, a vehicle that through what's built into itself being able to safely navigate roads and uh, you know, improve road safety generally and provide a great experience to the individual, particularly 
in specific design domains. I think, you know, I, I think we're there. It gets much more difficult when you want a car to do absolutely everything that our cars can currently do, you know, drive through the middle of, you know, London and then go off into the countryside, you know, and then go across the Sahara Desert, whatever, you know, that stretch is going to be much more difficult. But most vehicles are used in specific uh, circumstances. So you can come up with a design domain. And I think particularly as we move more towards, if you look at what um, Audi are talking about going forward, they're, they're talking about people having, not owning vehicles, but choosing a vehicle when they need it and choosing the type of vehicle for what they're going to do so yes people think of that as being uh, right I'm going to pop into town so I have a little little hatchback I'm going to go away for a couple of days so I'll have a SUV or an estate car something like that but it could also be about the technology that's fitted so I think we're in a really good place we don't need roads like Bowling Green we don't need 5G everywhere but they will clearly bring additional benefits so, David, we could have the infrastructure in place, we could have all the regulation in place, but there's one area we might have to shift the needle, and that is the uh, public uh, acceptance. And there have obviously been some high-profile tragedies with the trials of smart autonomous cars and vehicles. Do, do you see uh, a change in public perception of driverless cars? I think one of the issues we have is that the media likes a good story about a mad robot car going off you know, causing lots of damage, killing people. I know that sounds a terrible thing to say, but, you know, go in, rent out uh, Fast and Furious 8, The Fate of the Furious, great movie. But, you know, that's, that, that is something that, you know, the, the media, the tabloids like to latch on to. They're less keen to talk about, um, you know, so we, one of the uh, firms that we were within, the, with, within one of the consortia basically provided mobility within um, a retirement village. And that, that was great in terms of the benefits that it brought. And it got a bit of local news attention, but, but not a, a, a lot more than that. So I think public perception is always going to be shaped by um, those, those scare stories. Um, but uh, yeah, what, what we need to do is, is not just dismiss it, as, as it might have sounded like I possibly was then, but we show that we're absolutely committed to testing. We're absolutely committed to um, accurately describing what a vehicle can and can't do. And we don't let vehicles on the road unless they're entirely safe. So, you know, as, as simple as if an autonomous vehicle is designed to operate autonomously only in a specific circumstance, lock it down so it can only operate in those circumstances. Don't describe your vehicle as having autopilot if it's just really, really good driver assistance. I think we also need to learn from the the tests and I think some of the, the larger firms... I mean, if you look at the... Um, yeah, the Uber crash, for instance. So if you look at the history, they were testing in California. California had some quite stringent testing regulations, which they didn't like, so they moved to Colorado because they could... Uh, I'm not going to say cut corners because that would be inappropriate, but they, yeah, they weren't burdened by so much regulation. Well, frankly, that regulation might have been there for a good reason. Um, I, I also think that, you know, we 
can use technology, we can use simulation technology to really, really rack up the miles without having to, um, you know, yes, testing on asphalt is is important, but we, we don't have to just rely on things being, um, uh, you know, tested in, in and around the general public. But that said, th- those tests are going on now. So, and there's some really sort of clever and interesting um, tests out there, which... I think if if you say so, pizza delivery, for instance, might sound a, a daft thing to suggest, but autonomous vehicle delivering your pizza, um, bit of a gimmick, perhaps. But again, it gets press attention, and people see these vehicles. I think we will see uh, a sudden surge of autonomous vehicles in the commercial vehicle space because nothing drives development like a business case and there are some massive savings so when people see those vehicles and feel safe around those vehicles then I think there will be greater acceptance but we have to be honest and when something goes wrong we need to understand it we don't need to you know hide behind secrecy and it's there has been a bit of that we need to be as public as we possibly can about what's gone wrong in a test and why that failure is going to be prevented going forward. So bringing this back to the here and now, how would you describe the uh, Britain's roads in the, in 2020 and how should insurers be preparing for, 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 for the state of the, uh, I suppose, the, the roads and, and, and the, the vehicles on them um, you know, over the next 12 to 24 months? I think the best thing an insurer can do is, as well as focusing on their conventional market, trying to sort of anticipate, um, I'll call it the, the, the rating features and the customer requirements of that car of the future, because it is going to be a massive change. You know, we've, we've spent lots of money employing lots of clever actuaries, doing lots of behavioral analysis, trying to understand the individual, but increasingly going forward, I think that, you know, that the human's still going to be part of the rating factor, but a much smaller amount. So understanding the technology much more. It might be you know, the rise of the, the motor engineer again, you know, because insurers do, you know, one of the, the most important people in our business currently is Doug Jenkins, who's our effectively head of risk management for vehicles. Um, and it's not just what he's doing on, on our larger commercial fleets. It's, it's helping me, helping others within the business to understand some of some of the, the, the technology. Trying to anticipate the services uh, that we could potentially provide from a connected vehicle. Um, and then sort of trying to partner with people. Even if, I mean, we, we've done you know, uh, some interesting um, partnerships, should we say, with quite small companies, even ones that we thought, this probably isn't going to last and they're probably not going to change the world but they're doing something a bit different and we need to sort of get inside their heads understand the technology understand how things might be done differently so that we can begin to to shape our models so so i think yeah roads will improve connectivity will improve but we can sort of predict that car of the future now so i think the best thing to do is is start imagining the future start building some products start partnering with some people um and and then you should be you know ready to go when when it finally impacts well david thanks for giving us so much food to thought subjects we will be covering at motor insurance world on the 24th of march at twickenham stadium and I look forward to seeing you there on the Autonomous Driving Panel. Thank you. Uh, thank you, David, and thank you all for listening. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.